Turn with me to Psalms 149 and 50. 149 and 150. We're going to be finishing our series in Psalms today. I'm going to take two weekends to teach on the vision of RMC. Be disciples, make disciples, send disciples. And then we're going to start the book of 1 Corinthians. So you can start uh, reading 1 Corinthians to study ahead. So Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the moisture that you're giving to us. And we do lift up this youth retreat that's taking place in Quaker Ridge and Woodland Park, God, that you would, one, keep them safe as they travel down from the mountain this morning and just allow the roads to be clear. But also, Lord, that you would move in their hearts, each of those students. You would show them your love and give them a desire to follow after you. And this morning, as we read your word, God, would you allow us to move more to a lifestyle of praise, a lifestyle of, of gratitude. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was coming into a village in Samaria, Galilee region, and 10 men approach him. But the 10 men are standing off at a distance because they have leprosy. As lepers, they were ostracized, had to live in isolation. No doubt they had heard of Christ's ability to heal the leper. So they say, okay, it's worth the risk. We're going to go as a group. And Christ looks upon them and he gives them kind of an unusual instruction. He says, I want you to go show yourself to the priests. There's a large section in Exodus that's dedicated to if the leper was healed. The leper would have to come to the priest. The priest would inspect their skin. There would be sacrifices, animals that would be sacrificed. Then they would be able to enter back into the community. Up until that point, they were unclean. I'm sure there was a lot of priests that never had to use that section of Leviticus because they'd never experienced a leper being cleansed. The Bible tells us that as they went, they were healed. I wonder if it happened all at once. Was there their walking that they looked and all 10 of them were healed of leprosy or if, or if a bit was a process, the first one got healed, then the second, or maybe their hand got healed and then their foot. But what an amazing thing for these 10 lepers to all be healed. One comes back of the 10, one comes back and he falls down in worship and he thanks Jesus that he was healed. The gospel of Luke tells us that the one that came back was a Samaritan, wasn't an Israelite. Had to have been a mixed multitude where there was Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus says, where's the other nine? Jesus expected the other nine to come back, to be thankful, to give praise to Christ. But only one came and he said, and it was the foreigner. It was the Samaritan. I don't know about you, but I want to be that one leper, right? This morning, we're going to be looking at a call to praise, where God calls us to a lifestyle of thanksgiving. But our culture is one of being unthankful, isn't it? We're unthankful to people that we should be grateful for. We're not too thankful for parents, not too grateful for parents. We're not too grateful for teachers, right? We should be so thankful for educators giving their lives to educate children. I mean, where would you be if you didn't learn to read, if you didn't learn to write, if you didn't 
learn basic math and those types of things. So we go through our lives many times taking things for granted. I hope that this morning is not just another Bible study for us. That as we study the truth of scripture and we study this call to worship, that God would change our lives. That we would see the importance of choosing thanksgiving. A couple big ideas here. The first is, is that God deserves our praise. He's glorified in our praise. If somebody does something for you, doesn't it deserve a thank you? Like if they bring you a cup of coffee in the morning, doesn't it deserve it? Oh, thank you so much for bringing me a a cup of coffee. Even if someone comes into your home and they fix something that's broken and you pay them for it, but aren't you thankful that they fixed the furnace, especially on a morning like today, right? And so God has done all of these amazing things for us. He's created us. He's died for us. So he deserves our, our praise. It's proper. It's, it's right for us to give God our praise. But also, praise protects us. When we're living in a place of gratitude, you've probably noticed that your soul is much lighter, When we're living in a place of grumbling and complaining, there's a darkness. There's a spiritual downward spiral that comes due to our complaining. This is something that Billy Graham wrote before he died in regards to gratitude. Ingratitude is a sin, just as surely as lying or stealing or immortality or any other sin condemned by the Bible. One of the Bible's indictments against rebellious humanity is although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, Romans 1, 21. An ungrateful heart is a heart that is cold toward God and indifferent to his mercy and love. It is a heart that has forgotten how dependent we are on God for everything. Ingratitude is a sin, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is this downward spiritual spiral, and it begins with knowing that God is God, but not glorifying him as such and not giving him thanks. When we choose to not give thanks, it sends us in the wrong direction spiritually. The children of Israel are traveling through the wilderness. They've been delivered from bondage. They begin to grumble and complain. Grumble against Moses. Complain about the food. I'm so tired of this manna that God is providing every day. As they're grumbling and complaining, God sends a serpent, snakes, to begin to bite them. God's giving us an illustration of what complaining does to our soul. If we begin to complain and murmur and grumble, the serpent comes to our soul. We're in that place where, man, we're starting to be bitten. So as we get into this psalm this morning, let's choose to enter into a place of praise and thanksgiving. Verse 1, praise the Lord. This is a command. Praise the Lord. God is commanding you through his word to praise the Lord. This is not a, if you feel like it, praise the Lord. This is not a, if you got a raise, praise the Lord. This is not if, oh man, you just met the perfect person that you're going to marry, praise the Lord. This is no matter what, praise the Lord. God is commanding us to to praise him. Throughout scripture, we see commands like this. In the book of Philippians, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say rejoice. You Bible students, you know what always means? All the time. All the time. To rejoice in the Lord because of who he, he is. His character hasn't changed. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in verse chapter 13, it tells us to give the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. Sometimes it is a sacrifice. Sometimes we do feel like praising the Lord, but a lot of times we don't feel like praising the Lord. I hope that you understand this. Maybe we need to be reminded of this. Our feelings do not drive our life. Our feelings do not dictate our Christian life. It's choosing to say, God is good. I know he's good. I know he's faithful. So I'm going to enter into praise. The word praise, it means to boast. Maybe if one of your children has accomplished something and you're so proud of them, you can't help but go to work and say, oh, I'm so proud of what my child has done. You grandparents are really good at boasting about your grandkids. Pull out your smartphones. Let me show you a picture, right? And the look on your face is so proud. You're, you're boasting of, of your grandchild. And this is where we're so amazed by who God is and what he's done. We can't help but boast about him. We can't help but praise the Lord. Then we see, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Some of you may love new songs, but I bet there's a handful of you, maybe a majority of us, where you don't like new songs. Like, why is the worship team doing a new song? Seems like they're doing a new song all the time. Can't we just sing the old songs? Can't we just sing the songs that I know? I, I like the songs that I know. I don't want to have to learn a new, new song. But God says there's a place for a new song. Because a new song speaks of a fresh work that God is doing in our lives. And one of the things that we like about old songs is we remember, oh, this is how God met me with this song. But now God's meeting us in a new way with this new song. And it takes effort to learn it and to make it a part of us and, and to sing it. But it's God's desire that we would sing new songs to the Lord. And this is a stretch for many of us that aren't musical. I mean, sometimes the worship team introduces new songs. But for us to be able to even sit down and try to write a simple praise song to the Lord and sing it unto him. Or go out and search out a new worship song and add it to your playlist. That's a little easier, right, than writing a song. But saying, I'm not just going to rely upon this old stuff in my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to seek to sing a new song to the Lord and express it to the Lord. And that's important for us in our relationship with him. It's said that frequency leads to complacency. Think about that for a moment. Frequency can lead to complacency. I've sang this song over and over and over again. I can almost sing it in my sleep because I've sung it so many times. So it's time for a new song. It's time to express that to the Lord. God wants to do new things in our relationship with him. And his praise in the assembly of saints. What you've done this morning to make the effort to get out in the snow, to sing praise to God amongst believers is biblical. It's biblical. We make time to sing together because God has instructed us to do so. 
How many times have you been encouraged to look around and to see people worship the Lord? Maybe it is an off morning. We're not in a place of worship, but then we see somebody else worshiping the Lord and it spurs us and it reminds us, oh yeah, I need to be able to sing to the Lord. Isn't it fun sometimes to not sing and listen to the congregation sing around you? We are entering into a little bit of the foreshadow of heaven. Heaven's going to be believers around the throne room of God, worshiping, entering into the chorus of hallelujah. Have you considered that throughout church history, believers have gathered together to worship God? They saw the value in singing to the Lord together and studying the word together. This morning, throughout the world, believers are gathered, worshiping the Lord, singing to the Lord in many languages. Now, I want to talk to our live stream audience for for just a moment. I understand on a Sunday morning that live streaming the service is an amazing blessing. Don't feel condemned. We want you to be safe upon the roads. But hear me out on this. If all you ever do is live stream a service and don't ever come into the assembly of the saints, I believe you're missing out. Because there's something about sitting at home in your family room and singing to the Lord by yourself, and there's something different about coming in with believers and singing together and having fellowship together. So it's our heart here at RMC that the live stream would be a bridge to get you here. We're inviting you. If you've listened on the live stream and you've never been here, get here. We would love to meet you, right? If your church is the live stream, we want you to go a little bit further and find a church. And maybe the live stream then is a bridge to going to another church. Maybe you live in another state, find a church. But could you imagine the state of the church 10 years from now if we all went to live stream church, right? And we never saw each other and we never sang together. But you know what, guys? That's a commitment on each of us. That's a commitment on each of us to say, I see the value of gathering together with the assembly to sing together. I see the value of fellowship. So I'm gonna commit myself uh, to it. In some ways, maybe the live stream has become a little bit too convenient, right? And it's a blessing. I believe that God's using it. We're all in on the live stream because it's how God is, is reaching people. But if that's where it stays, man, take the next step. I love getting together with believers, don't you guys? It's so good to be able to sing together and be in fellowship together. Just remember, the enemy doesn't want you here. The enemy doesn't want you here. It's always hard to get to church. It's always easy to get to Starbucks. It's always hard to get to church. It's always easy to get to the movies. Because there's no spiritual battle when you take the family to the movies, right? But there is a spiritual battle when we gather together as believers, but it's so worth it. In verse 2, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. I was having this conversation with my friend on Friday morning, and he was saying, have you ever wrestled with the question of why God created us? I mean, why did God create us? Is he egotistical? Or he had to have people worshiping him, and that's why he created us? Was he lonely? 
And there's something lacking in and himself where he needed to have us around him because he was lonely. My friend was expressing, no, God created us not because he's egotistical or because he's lonely, but because he's good. And he created us out of love and out of his good pleasure. Have you ever made something not because you're prideful, not because you need people to recognize you, but you wanted the joy of creating something? Have you ever created something, built something, not because you're lonely, but simply out of goodness and out of joy and out of love? And that's why God created us, out of his love for us. And here we get to rejoice in that he is our maker. He made Israel. He's the king of Israel. These are directed towards Israel. But as the church, he's also our maker, and he is our king. God has made you. He has created you specifically. He has designed you. Psalms 139 last week gave us indication of that. So we rejoice that he is our maker. How does it look to rejoice that he is our king? If he's our king, then we're in his kingdom. We're in the kingdom of the son. That's what Colossians chapter one declares. The kingdom of the son of God. And as constituents, if you would, in his kingdom, as children in his kingdom, he protects us and he takes care of us and our job is to follow him. But it isn't an amazing thing to be in the kingdom of the son. In verse three, let them praise him with dance. What do you guys think? Ready to bust out in some dance? So David was so moved by the goodness of God that he just began to dance before the Lord. His wife didn't like it, Michael. Once the worship service was done, she begins to rebuke him for dancing before the Lord. She despised his worship. You're bringing shame to the family. What might this look like for the children of Israel? They would oftentimes be in a coordinated dance before the Lord because they're so excited about the goodness of God. Dancing's pretty far removed from us and in our culture. So how, how might like this look in our church fellowship? If you get so excited about the Lord and moved by the Lord that you come right down here in the front and you start dancing, right? Start going, woo, yeah. I just got done with the father-daughter dance, so I'm pretty excited, right? <laughs> this is what would happen, is that we would come to you, probably not sure, pastor, say we're so excited that you're excited, but we're gonna ask you to dance at the back of the church. Why? Because if you're up here in the front doing cartwheels, you're gonna be a distraction. And we never want our worship to be a distraction to others where people are so focused upon us, they can't focus upon the Lord. But if you felt led to dance and you wanted to dance towards the back, by by all means do. But this shows how excited they're about the Lord, how their praise has moved them to dance before him. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and harp. We'll get into this more in the next chapter, worshiping the Lord with instruments. Highlight verse four. It's an important verse in this psalm. For the Lord will take pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. So as we praise the Lord, it's not just simply a duty that God deserves praise and we're protected by praise, but God takes pleasure in his people. Do you know God takes pleasure in you? Do you believe that about God? That God longs to spend time with you? That he loves to 
hear your praise and your prayers and your thanksgiving. This morning as we're gathering together, our Heavenly Father's like, oh, I'm so excited to spend time with them. As we go throughout our day, he's taking pleasure in his people and he beautifies. He beautifies the humble with salvation. It's amazing how God can beautify his people. That he can sanctify and save and change and transform. He puts his favor, his beautification upon our lives. The ultimate makeover of our lives. But how does that makeover happen? The humble. He gives the humble salvation. What are the requirements for salvation to be saved? It takes humility and it takes faith. The humility is the understanding I can't save myself. The humility is I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Without humility, we're not going to be saved. Pride tells us I've got this all figured out. I can trust in myself. Faith is believing that Christ died for our sins and rose again. Jesus told this story. I want to read it to you. It contrasts pride with humility. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who went home saved? Who was beautified with salvation? It was the tax collector. It was the one who knew he was a sinner, who knew he was broken, knew he needed the mercy of God, wouldn't even lift up his eyes and is beating his chest, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee, who trusted in himself, trusted in his works, thought that he was better than others, he wasn't saved. If you were to ask people at the temple that day, who's saved? Hands down, they would have picked the Pharisee. He's squeaky clean from the outside, but his heart was filled with sin. They wouldn't have picked the tax collector, but God beautifies the humble with salvation. In verse five, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. This is pretty radical. Have you ever laid in your bed and sang a song of praise to the Lord? I don't think I ever have, right? But I can tell you there's a lot of nights where I've gone to bed grumbling and complaining, either in my heart or to my wife, Amber. She's had to endure it. Oh, this is such a hard day. When are things going to go right? I'm so tired. And that's the anthem when I'm going to bed. This would be a much better way to go to bed, wouldn't it? To be able to say, I'm going to choose a song of praise. I'm even going to sing it out on my bed. Here I'm laying in bed trying to go to sleep, but I'm going to sing out a song of praise to the Lord. In verse 6, it shifts gears, so stay with me. Let the high praise of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples 
to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints, praise the Lord. So as they sing to the Lord, then they move to a place of having a sword in their hand, going from worship into the battle. This is God's intent for us, and this is why praise is so important. As we praise the Lord, as we begin the day with praising the Lord, go throughout our day praising the Lord, end the day praising the Lord, then when we go into the battle, we have the right perspective because our attention's been on God, not upon the battle. And when our attention's on God, we understand that God has the battle. Many times in the Old Testament, God called the children of Israel to worship first. That's how they were to face the battle, was through worship. Then God brought the victory. When they were coming into the promised land, God had a game plan for taking down Jericho. Unorthodox, the worship leaders were to go first. The priests with the trumpet, the shofar, a ram's horn, walk around Jerusalem, or excuse me, Jericho, At the end of the march, the priests would blow the shofar. Do this for seven days. And then on the seventh day, go around seven times. The priests blow the trumpet. There's this shout of praise. God brings the walls of Jericho down. The worship came first. In 2 Chronicles 20, three nations attack Judah. Judah is southern Israel, two tribes. Jehoshaphat's the king. Jehoshaphat prays. Good call to pray. God says, look, you're not going to have to fight this battle. Don't worry about it. I got this one. So they get up, nation of Israel, and they decide to sing praise to God. They decide to worship. As they worship, God sets an ambush upon those three nations. They win the victory. What battles are you facing today? Is it depression? Is it discouragement? Is it financial trouble? Is it a relational trouble? Is it physical disease? Worship. Worship. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't worship to change the outcome, but I can tell you we're going to endure that trial differently if our attention's upon God and instead of the attention being upon the battle, the difficulty. Let's go into Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Again, is this exhortation, this command to praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary, the temple but also praise him in his mighty firmament. This is under the sky. So as we have these amazing blue skies, praise the Lord. As we have these amazing gray skies that provide snow, praise the Lord. As you're under the stars, praise the Lord. One of the great things about living in Colorado Springs is you can see the peak from most places in the city as you're driving around. We're so blessed. As you see the peak, praise the Lord. So allow God's creation to move you to a place of praising the Lord. Praise him for his mighty acts. Think about what God has done. The greatest of God's acts is sending his son to die for our sins. That God would come in human flesh, be born in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us, live a perfect life, sinless life. Take our sin upon him, upon the cross, so that we could be saved, so that that we could be the child of God. Rise again, conquering sin and death. 
So we praise God for his mighty acts, but also praise him for the personal things that he has done in your life. Look back. Maybe take a 20-year view. Take a 10-year view. Look back over the last couple years. God, you've been faithful here. You've been faithful here. Here's your mighty acts in my life and in our family. Think about what he's done this week, how he's been faithful to you. And praise the Lord for those mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The character and the nature of God. The excellent greatness of God. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible. We're in the book of Exodus. We had a lot of fun this last Wednesday night looking at Exodus 34. If you missed it, I'd go back and listen to it. Moses prays to see the glory of God. What a great prayer. God says, you can't see my face, but you can see my backside. God passes before Moses and declares who he is. He declares his glory, his greatness to Moses. This is what he said. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. God is merciful. The idea of his mercy that's listed there is he's compassionate. These attributes are clearly seen in Jesus, the way that Jesus showed compassion upon people. Do you believe that about God? Do you know that God is merciful, not just in general, but he's merciful towards you? Isn't that a whole nother thing? Yeah, God, I know you're merciful, but you're merciful towards me this morning. You're compassionate towards me. We celebrate the attribute of his mercy. We celebrate the attribute of him being gracious. This word gracious is only attributed to God in the Old Testament. God is gracious to us in a way that no one in a human relationship can even compare. Sometimes we as people show grace, but it's just a very small fraction compared to the grace of God. This is the greatness of God that he is gracious. He's gracious towards us. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad that God is patient with you and patient with me? He's far more patient with us than we are with one another. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in goodness. Do you know that God is good? That's the most important thing to know about God, that he is good, that he's abounding in in truth. So as we focus upon the attributes of God, it causes us to praise. Here's a practical application. Look at Exodus 34 and pick one attribute of God that's listed there that resonates with you, and be thankful for that. Lord, thank you that you're gracious. Thank you that you're long-suffering, and celebrate that. His excellent greatness. There's no one like God. In verse 3, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All of the instruments, the trumpets, the lute, the harp, the tremble, the dance, the stringed instruments, the loud instruments, all of the instruments are created to be used by God in worship. Are there any instruments that can't be used in worship? 
The drums, apparently the drums. You can't use drums in worship, right? That's the devil's music, right? Well, what does verse 5 tell us? It says, with loud cymbals and clashing cymbals. That sounds like drums, doesn't it? And it says to play them loud. Like, get excited about it and play it unto the Lord. So we all have different instruments that we like and other instruments that tend to turn us off, right? For a lot of people, some, for some people, the drums kind of turns them off and they're like, God can't be in that. But then there's the holy anointing on the grand piano. I mean, the Holy Spirit dwells in this baby grand right here. And when we play the baby grand, it's like, oh, that's, that's Holy Spirit-filled music. And then clash on the drums. Like, oh, man, don't they know it's loud, right? Has anybody told the pastor that it's loud, right? And this is our heart. This is our heart at RMC is I know there's going to be times where there's music that's not your preference. And I know that there's going to be times that there's instruments that are not your favorite. But remember that person that's playing that. They're worshiping the Lord. They're fulfilling Psalms 150. They came here, came to church and said, I'm going to play this unto the Lord. You know, Pastor Billy's on staff, but the rest of our worship team, they're given their whole entire weekend to serve us in worship. Saturday night, Sunday morning, practicing throughout the week, and then we come here and we're like, I don't really like the keys. You know, I don't really like the drums. It's not really my favorite. My, it's not what I would, would prefer. But there's someone else in the church that's going, yeah, I'm really appreciating the drums. You know, I'm really appreciating the grand piano. And then also, please understand this, is that musical expression and how instruments are played will change throughout the generations. And we want this to be a church where young people can express their love to God and the musical expression that does relate to them as well, right? To give them an opportunity to be able to to worship the Lord. Now bear with me a little bit. There was a huge movement of God in our country in the 60s. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that some pastors allowed electric guitars and drums to be played in church. They knew Psalms 150. And they said, we're going to allow this to happen in church. We're going to allow young people to worship the Lord in this style and this expression. And through that and other things as well, but a large part of it was that fact God reached a generation. And we're so, so thankful for that. To the point now where my estimation would be 90% of churches have drums and electric guitars. 90%. It's pretty normal for there to be drums and electric guitars now. So at times, in our fellowship, in our church, there's some young people that are really good at rap. And they worship the Lord through rap. And you may hear it on a Sunday morning here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, right? I remember our Christmas Eve service when we allowed Jay to do some rap. I asked him to do some rap that there was two things that happened. Some of you did this. Ah! Ah! What is happening to my church? Right? But there were some others, and a lot of them, on those Christmas Eve services that were doing this, not paying attention. And as soon as Jay started to, to rap, it was their attention. 
I remember one young guy sitting right over here and he stood up and his expression was, they're playing my music in church, right? See, because there's all these different expressions of, of worship and to be able to see all the different musical styles and at time for that to be expressed to the Lord. So I know it takes some flexibility for us in the midst of this. And then as all of us get older, we tend to not appreciate younger styles of music. And we have teens in our home and some of the music that they love, I don't necessarily love, right? My parents don't love the music that I love. I don't love their music, right? It's like, you know, doesn't identify with me. That, that's part of it. And where this is all going to be sorted out is in heaven, isn't it? Right? When we get to heaven, we're, we're fully going to be able to appreciate all of this. But here's the challenge in verse 6, is let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God's given you breath. He's given me breath. What are we doing with the breath that we've been given? I want to go just a little bit further before we take communion. The Apostle Paul had received a vision from God of a man that needed help in Macedonia. So he goes. He goes to Macedonia, comes to Philippi. There's no synagogue. So he goes to the river where a group of Jewish women are praying. No men. Jewish women are praying. But Lydia gets saved and her household Paul continues to walk through Philippi and here's a slave girl who's demon-possessed that earns her master money by foretelling the future. Paul is led by the Spirit to pray for her and God delivers her from this evil spirit. Paul and Silas end up getting arrested, thrown into prison, and they're beaten, they're whipped, placed in stocks in the, the center of the prison, And it tells us in that moment that Paul and Silas chose to pray and sing songs to God, to sing hymns to God. They entered into praise. They entered into worship. They chose to worship in that moment. You may find yourself in a prison. You might find yourself in a difficult situation and nothing inside of you chooses to feel like praise. But like Paul, you can make that choice. Like Paul, you can say, I'm gonna decide to worship the Lord. How did Paul get to that place where worship was such a part of his lifestyle, was praise was such a part of his lifestyle? I believe that it's rooted and anchored in the cross. We started the service with Numbers 21 where the children of Israel are grumbling and complaining in the wilderness, these snakes are biting them and they're dying. Moses interceded and God told him, I want you to take a bronze snake and hang it upon a pole and everyone who looks to the bronze snake will be saved. Jesus said that as the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness, so he would be lifted up. He became sin for us. He became the serpent, if you would. And when we look upon Christ, we're saved. But also, when we look upon Christ, I believe that we're delivered from grumbling and complaining. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
So if we're not looking to Jesus, if we're not focusing upon Jesus, if we're not focusing upon his suffering, we're going to get weary and discouraged in our souls. Are you weary and discouraged in your soul? What do you do? How do you become a person like the Apostle Paul? You focus on Jesus and his suffering. And we have the opportunity to be able to do that in communion. We're all going to be served together. And as we're served together, the bread represents his broken body. The cup represents his shed blood. And we think about his sacrifice. Instead of thinking about, man, I'm in this prison. I'm in this difficulty. We focus upon the Lord. And as Paul and Silas sang to the Lord, God sent an earthquake and there was a breakthrough. There was literally a jailbreak that took place. And salvation resulted from God's work. God does breakthrough as we choose to praise the Lord. Now guys, gals, men, women, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a choice to make. We can either choose to enter into praise and allow the Holy Spirit to make this part of our lifestyle that we're going to be a thankful person, or even right now, we can choose to grumble and complain. We can be like, man, I don't really like this. I don't really like that. My goodness, it's snowing. My spouse, I don't really like this about my spouse. I'm single. I wish that I was married. Right? Right after hearing this message. Right? Right after hearing praising the Lord. Or we can choose to praise him. And I always like to try to make things simple and make things practical. Is choose one thing to be thankful for each day. Just one thing. And say, I'm going to be intentional about thanking God for this. But I know this. I know this because of the truth of Scripture. If you choose to be thankful, you will be changed. If you choose to grumble and complain, good luck. Right? Like you're saved, you're the child of God, but you don't want to be with yourself and nobody else wants to be with you either. Right? It's like you're just no fun. You're hell on wheels. Everywhere you go. Where you go. It's productive for nothing. Right? So let's allow the Holy Spirit to move us to this place of being thankful for it to begin right now as we celebrate communion together. So let's pray and then we'll prepare for communion. Father, you know our hearts. You know me. There's there's too many days of my life where I've gone through the day grumbling and complaining. And we choose right now to be thankful, to praise you. Thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that you're a God who dwells with us that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, your patience with us. And as we take communion, we put our focus upon you, Jesus, and all of the suffering that you went through. So God, would you meet each of us in a very tangible way as we wait upon you in communion this morning. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.